You're listening to WERALP in Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, and streaming at WERA.FM. And this is Choose to be Curious. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Today's show is like a peek into the wonky engine that is my train of thought. First, I'll end up to being entirely too entertained with the poetic parallel of curiosity, which you might credibly describe as the fourth drive after food, sex, and shelter, and journalism as the fourth estate, that power broker beyond government. It's these two vehicles that move our thinking around curiosity and journalism that we'll be talking about today. And just because I never met a metaphor I didn't love to keep working, I'm staying on that track, and I thought it would be fun for our featured Sound of Arlington to be that mysterious train whistle you can sometimes hear in the middle of the night. When I mention that this show will feature sounds from around Arlington that I've always been curious about, the most common response I get is, oh, like that train whistle? But here's my challenge. I don't know if the train whistle happens every night, and even if it does, it happens in the middle of the night. So getting out there with a mic and a recorder all seemed a bit too quixotic. But I have an alternative plan, which will be revealed all in good time. As I read and learn more about curiosity, it seems like there's a pretty good consensus among those who really study this stuff that curiosity is more state than trait. That is, it's a state of mind, not a fixed trait like eye color or something else you can't really change. And much to my delight, states can be changed and they can be cultivated. So it is possible to get more curious. And a lot of what I've learned about curiosity started with Ian Leslie's book, Curious, The Desire to Know and Why Your Future Depends on It, a book, by the way, that I highly recommend. I've got a link to the Arlington Public Library on our Facebook page, Choose to be Curious. Ian Leslie, who is a journalist himself, um, provides some really useful terminology to describe what I think we all instinctively feel are different sorts of curiosity. We talk about idle curiosity versus something more active. Um, And I imagine I'm not alone in feeling that there are are some curiosities that seem like guilty pleasures, while others feel more respectable. Leslie and others differentiate and describe these sorts of curiosities in this way. There's diversive curiosity, which is an attraction to everything novel, um, that attraction to the latest shiny object or like clickbait online. We can go there endlessly, easily. It's a diversion. And then there's what's called epistemic curiosity from epistemology, exploring the theory of knowledge, which is a deeper, more disciplined, and what they call an effortful quest for knowledge and understanding. And the key word there is effort. This isn't the easy, idle curiosity. This is what drives us when we've really got a passion and we want to know everything about it, and we're willing to work really, really hard to learn it. Or, as Leslie says, it's what happens when diversive curiosity grows up. Um, And finally, there's what you might call social curiosity or empathic curiosity, a curiosity about the thoughts and feelings of other people. Diversive curiosity might make you wonder what a person does for a living. Empathic curiosity makes you wonder why. As I think about how stories are covered in the news or what stories attract my attention, my curiosity, I can really feel those distinctions. So I was curious whether a journalist would see it that way, which is what got me to Drew Costley. You're listening to WERALP in Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, 
and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Choose to be Curious. I'm Lynn Borton, and I'm delighted to have Drew Costley with me. Welcome, Drew. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, I'm excited to have you here. So you grew up in Arlington, mm-hmm. graduated from H.B. Woodlawn, um, and you're now news editor of the Falls Church News Press. Yep. By way of Howard University's The Hilltop, yep. e- ESPN yep. Mag, The City Paper. That's right. It's a pretty interesting mix. <laughs> yeah, it is. I uh, was very fortunate to get some uh great sort of enriching opportunities early in my uh, journalism career. Oh, that's great. So I first saw you in action at the celebration of desegregation of Arlington Public Schools that was held at HB, your alma mater, and I liked your vibe, so I (laughs) thought it would be fun to hear more about your journey with journalism Mm -hmm. and how curiosity fits into your work and your life. So Tell me how you found your way into journalism. My journalism career actually started at H.B. Woodlawn. An English teacher that I had, his name was Randy McKnight, and I was very talkative in his class. I think I was probably talkative in an English class that I had a few years prior with a teacher named Susan Friedman. They both sort of put their heads together, and they conspired to get me to start working for the school newspaper, Verbum Sapsat. Um, and I got to write about my favorite subject at the time, which is still one of my favorite subjects today, which is sports. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of oh, I see how. the ESPN angle right there. Right. So then what? What journalism did for me early on was it allowed me to get outside of myself and talk to people who I normally wouldn't talk to. Mm. And people who are, you know, was curious about their viewpoints, their perspectives. I just wouldn't have cause to walk up to them randomly in the hallway at school and say, hey, what do you think of the Atlanta Braves? You know, I had permission. Being a young journalist gave me permission to sort of speak to them. So that was really thrilling to me. That's interesting. So it, journalism actually sort of gave you a frame for it to be safe to ask questions that you had, but you didn't necessarily have a way to ask. Is that what Correct. That or even just to huh. interact with people in a way where I would just be curious what it would be like to interact with them. Whereas I might wonder what this person is like, and I know that they have an interest in something that I'm covering, and so then I can sort of pull them into my reporting and get the chance to speak to them. Ah, great. Mm -hmm. So after HB, did you pursue journalism in college? Yeah, so I went to Howard University. That's where I started my um, semi-pro career. I worked for the school newspaper, Howard University's The Hilltop, for three years. That was sort of like a laboratory for a lot of young journalists, and I took advantage of it big time. Tell me more about that. It sounds like it really worked to cultivate your curiosity and build your chops as a journalist. What did they do? The year that I started at Howard, the Hilltop became a daily newspaper. So Mm -hmm. it went from publishing twice a week to publishing every day. That's a big jump. Exactly, yeah. And so there was sort of a vacuum in terms of content. And we were sort of also in the wilderness in terms of not knowing how to run a daily newspaper. And so there was a lot of room for experimentation, freedom in terms of what topics we could explore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, having that platform sort of, especially in college, a lot of people have, you know, conversations about philosophy and the way the world is. And, you know, I like this and I don't like that or stuff like that. And being able to sort of crystallize that in in the form of, you know, stories that I assign to a reporter or report myself, that was it was really empowering. That's an interesting point, I think, in terms of the inner mix of the structure with the freedom mm-hmm. to really empower you uh, with your curiosity mm-hmm. and in a in a potential career path. And so where did you go after 
after how? Well, I had a few internships along the way that just because I was in my early 20s, I was pretty careerist. Like I just mm-hmm. I, I wanted to have a very healthy career coming out of college. But I, it it ended up actually burning me out uh, early in my journalism career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I sort of had pegged myself into being, OK, well, I'm going to be a sports journalist and that's about it. And, you know, how how do I get to that point? Uh-huh. Um as soon as possible after I graduate. And I ended up actually dropping out of Howard in 2008. And I I went back for like a semester in 2010. And then I ended up transferring to to the University of the District of Columbia in 2012. Uh Uh That's where I finished my my bachelor's. But during that four-year span of dropping out, I almost swore off journalism completely. And I think huh. it was I think it was the pendulum swinging the other way in terms of someone who mm-hmm. was so into the career aspect of being a journalist and and that was in, in trying to make that so much of my personality when I was younger and in my curiosity that was one of the things that brought me back to journalism actually huh. I learned about a lot of a lot of things outside of just sports journalism but then also outside of outside of the realm of what's the structure of of journalism, how it's practiced sort of traditionally, uh, where you have a beat and mm-hmm. you learn everything about that beat, you know, eventually pass that beat on to someone else. And it's a very it can be very narrow in terms of what you what you sort of uh, learn about. That's so interesting. And mm-hmm. so then and then at some point you you found your way to being a news editor. So that's yeah. like a kind of a hard left somewhere yeah. along the line. Yeah. But curiosity sort of led you out of the wilderness in some level. Yeah, so it was basically, you know, I got to learn about a lot of different things uh-huh. while I wasn't uh, focused on my career as a journalist. Um, I developed a, an extreme curiosity for the natural world and for human behavior. When I decided that I was going to go back to school, first I worked like three jobs to raise, you know, to raise money for tuition. And one of the jobs that I found just so happened to be as a freelance sports reporter with the Falls Church News Press. <laughs> and it was like one of those things where I I had an inkling because there were so many different types of journalism that were happening that were transgressive and that mm-hmm. were exciting and experimenting with the medium um, in, the, in the craft of journalism. And that really excited me. Second, made me second guess whether or not I didn't want to be a journalist anymore, where I was like, well, maybe I should still keep a foot in journalism, even if I'm not 100% sure that I want to do it after I finish my degree at, at, at uh-huh. UDC. Uh, so that's the universe moving in my favor to be able to find that, you know, that it was a job listing on Craigslist for the freelance these things come in all sorts of ways. <laughs> exactly. <okay. laughs> for So for the freelance, uh, for the freelance job with the news press and I just, you know, I said, okay, well, I, I know how to do sports journalism. It's not something that I'm sort of like gushing to do, but it's something that I I know how to do. And especially with high schoolers, because I was covering high school sports, there's something about the excitement of high schoolers and teenagers. Mm-hmm. And being able to cover that was something that I was really, ex- I, I could get excited about. The experience of covering high school sports is just so visceral and just, mm-hmm. you know, in um, the kids, they don't have media training. And so 
they they actually express their feelings about wins and losses rather than you know trotting out 10 different cliches to explain how they feel so that's what ended up leading to my current position as the Uh news editor at the news press Uh i worked for them for uh three years as a freelancer covering all sorts of high school sports and then my editor at the news press moved on to another position and asked me to take over for her so what does being the news editor actually mean it means a ton, actually. <laughs> I mean, uh, it seems like a huge job. Yeah, it it is it is it is a very big job. Thankfully, I still get to write. That's, that's one nice. of the things that it means. A lot of journalists have to choose whether they can be an editor or a writer or uh, an anchor or a producer. In the position that I'm in right now, I get to. I'm fortunate to be able to still do a lot of writing and to explore my own curiosity in ways that. I wouldn't have if I was just an editor or if I was just a reporter, Mm. meaning like I can pitch stories that I'm interested in that are relevant to Falls Church or the area around Falls Church and be able to either assign them to writers or report them myself. So I wanted to ask you actually about that sort of that question of relevance and and maybe what the difference is between what's news and what's something that people are curious about. Mm -hmm. How do you make your decisions about what fits in the space that you have? Yeah, so that's that's actually a really good question. There are certain stories that come up and certain topics that come up that because we've reported on them in the past or just if it's like a budget hearing or something, you know you have to report that. That's relevant and it's something that you might be curious about. Our editor-in-chief and publisher is actually is also a resident of Falls Church. So he's obviously going to be curious about how his mm-hmm. money is being spent as a taxpayer in Falls mm-hmm. Church, but he also knows that the readers will be curious about that and they'll want to be informed on that. And it's just sort of one of those things that's obvious. But then there's times where we get tips from, you know, residents and they might be curious about just a sort of a factoid and they want us to do an investigative report on it. But not everything is worth publishing to the whole world. Right. So you have some you have a responsibility in terms of that. that you use the word relevance. It seems like that's a really important word in your decision making in your role. Yes, it is. I mean, you know, sort of. Uh, you be, we have to be able to peg stories to what's what's going on in the region. Mm-hmm. For example, I'm working on a story about the efforts of the city, a Falls Church city, to get bike share in the city, mm-hmm. and that's not something that the the timeline for them to actually be able to open the bike share stations in in the city it's like a year out, so it's not it's not a current event. Mm-hmm. But it is relevant in the sense that their bike station, their bike share stations opening up in Tyson's in Reston uh, later this year. It's a trend that's been sweeping the whole region. Yeah, certainly has. Yeah. And so it's not something that's necessarily has an exact peg like a date, but it's, you know, it's something that's an ongoing thing that that needs to be covered eventually. And so its relevance is sort of stretched in that sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So earlier we were talking um, about different kinds of curiosity, mm-hmm. curiosity about things that are novel um, or the curiosity of you know following something in a very intense way, wanting to really learn it, or kind of curiosity about sort of how people think and feel. And I'm wondering, you've talked a little bit about how those distinctions kind of showed up for you mm-hmm. in your entry into journalism. Do they show up in journalism itself? I mean, do you think in terms of those categories, either in your story decision making mm-hmm. or in some other capacity? I don't think it's like so so on the nose that we think about it that way. No but checklist. No, it's not like do we do we want to? Is this an empathy story or uh-huh. is this like a 
deep a deep learning story or if this is a novelty story but all three of those types of curiosity come into play in coverage i mean you know one of the classic things that you learn as a journalist in terms of what's uh newsworthy uh is is this thing that really plays into that novelty curiosity Mm. where you know something is not a story like the headline a dog bites a man is not a story Mm -hmm. but the headline a man bites a dog is certainly a story (laughs) because that's something that just doesn't happen Uh and so that novelty Uh has always been there that's something you know that sort of trick to figure out whether or not something's newsworthy has always been around Uh and then in terms of like deep learning that's investigative journalism that's the core of what investigative journalism is when you spend a year or more on one topic trying to source documents and Mm -hmm. find actual sources to speak on or off the record about uh you know a topic that's that's exactly what investigative journalism is and you have to really delve deep into it and really commit a lot of your mental space for it. Mm-hmm. And then the last empathy sort of curiosity, wanting to learn about other people. I think that that's what drives a lot of like feature writing. As someone who works for a community newspaper, the core of what we're trying to get at when we cover any of the features is how is this person doing this? Why is this person doing this? You know, usually it's like a resident of the city, you know, yeah, just what drives them, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of trying to connect with that. And I think all and I also think that all three of those things sort of interplay too. I don't think that they're locked away categories or right. anything it's like that. It's hard to that. imagine they really fall into silos. I mean, no, no. Bits of them and all. Mm-hmm. I actually read a, a fascinating short interview with Catherine Schultz, who was herself a journalist and wrote a book called Being Wrong and Adventures in Margin and Error. Mm-hmm. And she makes the case that journalists who are humble and empathic are less likely to be wrong in their reporting. Mm-hmm. Do you do you see that in your work? Does that ring true for you? Yes, it does. I really? mean, yeah. yeah, to not be so arrogant to think that you know all of a topic mm-hmm. is so valuable in mm-hmm. journalism. Because journalism is, you know, mass media, I think people a lot of people look at it as more of like a craft or like sort of technical in terms of where it lands in the spectrum of writing they miss the fact that it's it's an art you know what what we do is art and um uh, you know one of the one of the things that i love most about um was this this quote that there's just never a final draft um and Uh, that you know nice yeah and that really sort of plays into you know sort of trying to be humble about your subject your topic or your beat not really thinking that you know it all and, and even just to have that humility of trying to know where you're at on a subject mm-hmm. helps you second guess yourself, which is good. And it helps you maybe double check your sources uh, or with your sources about facts, spelling of names and stuff like that, like to just make sure that you're on solid ground uh, in terms of your reporting and the facts that you're you know putting out there. Huh, interesting. So, you know, I confess I haven't actually read uh, Catherine Schultz's book, but it's definitely on my wish list. Now you're making me even more curious <laughs> to read it based on that. So thank you for <laughs> that. And I have put a link to her book on our Facebook page, uh, Choose to be Curious. For those of you who are interested, you can check that out. I also love New York Times reporters Benjamin Applebaum's line, look for the things you don't understand and keep asking questions until you do. Mm-hmm. That sounds like just exactly what you were talking about in terms of that kind of motivation to to be sure that you're really telling the story, but that the story sounds like it's never really over, like the story's never fully told. 
Oh, no, it's not. Even if you're, like, reporting on something that happened 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's just a new revelation of something, you know, like, uh, something, or maybe 50 or 60 years ago, something that happened, like, in the Civil Rights Movement, and there's, like, some new revelation that came out. That alone teaches us that we don't know everything about a subject. Our knowledge is one of those things where you you get, you, you learn you learn what you didn't know, uh-huh. and then broadens your vision of like what you can or what you don't know still Uh um Uh and that's you know that's one of the things that is having that in your sort of toolkit as a journalist that that principle there's more to be known that you should want to know it's like every answer just begets more questions exactly yeah 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 you can't yeah you can't be sated in that way like Mm -hmm. completely interesting Mm -hmm. interesting People ask me sometimes, um, you know, knowing my fascination with curiosity, I get the question, you know, is there such a thing as bad curiosity? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yes. Yeah? How so? Yes. I I think in my profession, curiosity is indispensable and is usually always good. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have Watergate if there wasn't for curiosity. Yeah. You wouldn't have WikiLeaks if it wasn't for curiosity. You know, these people who dig just a little bit more and they find out that there's something really wrong going on in the Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And and, and these are people who are probably usually told like the the adage, curiosity killed the cat or like, you know, um, and and, and told to sort of back off and to, you know, uh, put, you know, stymie their curiosity. And I'm glad that they don't. I think there are a lot of people in the world who are glad that they that they didn't. At the core of that is, I think, curiosity and, and, and probably a duty to humanity. Professionally, I don't think that curiosity is bad. Personally, Curiosity can be horrible. <laughs> I mean, I have a, I have a thirst for curiosity that often leads me to ask questions that I didn't want to know the answer to. You know, that's a hard lesson to learn. But for me, I always say that it's better to know uh-huh. and uh-huh. then just sort of deal with whatever fallout comes out afterwards. But, you know, that that doesn't work for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are, are strong enough to, to stymie their own curiosity in order to not be hurt in, in different ways or to be sort of astonished or shocked or grossed out, <laughs> you know? So, um, so yes, yes and no. I'll admit I, you know, I binge TV, watch the newsroom. So of course I'm an expert <laughs> on, on all these things. And, and it seems like, you know, a story breaks and suddenly people are going in a million directions at a million miles a mm-hmm. minute and, and they're phoning people. And, but, but where do you begin? I mean, is there a Journalism 101 checklist? I mean, how do you start to tell a story? That's a good question. There are different strategies for different stories. I mean, where do you start to figure out what's behind that train whistle? Where does it come from? What's there to know about it? Is this like a literal train whistle in the night? (laughs) It's literally a train whistle in the Uh, night. Okay, what I would do is I would try to track down the train whistle and just go to where where I'm (laughs) hearing it coming from. But if it's like gone uh-huh. when I get there, well, like of course if, it's gone when you get there. Right, it's like it's, it's right, and then it's gone. But if it came at like different times of night, you right. know, like if it was just hard to track, like if it came by every night at three a.m., I would just go to the place where I think I'm hearing it at three a.m. and see what's going on. If it wasn't that easy, you know, you might talk to people who are in that neighborhood, see if uh-huh. they saw something. I mean, uh-huh. that let's just say that the train was only happened once. Uh huh. Yeah. So it only happened once. That's like crime reporting in that sense, where uh-huh. there is a crime that 
unless it's like a serial crime, like people stealing from cars or something like that. If it's like a murder or shooting or something mm-hmm. violent that happens mm-hmm. usually only once, you got to go and you talk to the people who are in that area first. I think that's where the reporting starts, uh, just because there's got to be some sort of witness. And maybe somebody let us know about this rain whistle in the night, you mm-hmm. know, and then I'd ask them more about like, what else do you know about this? So it usually starts with like witnesses, people who are closer to the subject than we are. We're translators and curators of knowledge and trying to combine that to maybe make some new knowledge. That's really a lovely image for journalism as curators of other people's knowledge. I like Mm -hmm. that. I like that a lot. Actually, that's a great segue and metaphor (laughs) for journalism. You knew this was coming, right? I did. I have my my big jar of wannabe analogies here. So um, (laughs) take a little slip of paper here. Okay. And we're and I'll take one too. And okay. we're, we're going to make an analogy to curiosity based on whatever word is written on this little okay. paper. I'm okay. holding mine closed so okay. that we can open them at the same okay. time. Okay. All right. We're going to open together. I'll go first though. Okay. Go okay. first. Oh boy. Getting the haircut. Let's see. <laughs> curiosity is like getting a haircut um, because it allows you to trim things and see them looking different mm. well, i don't know it's kind of a stretch <laughs> uh, can know. you do better i don't know let's see what I, you got i don't know if i can <laughs> uh curiosity is like a jellyfish oh man uh it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it 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 can sting those who it can sting those and in its own defense it can it, oh. or it can sting others in its own defense in order to be respected uh it's 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 somewhat amorphous uh and it can sort of transform in order to fit different situations and i can't think of anything else wow but i, w- I let me just say if this were an analogy slam man you just won that was great thanks <laughs> that was fun so so thank you so much drew this has really been a pleasure awesome i really appreciate you inviting me thank you so much you're listening to weralp in arlington virginia 96.7 fm Do you know something about curiosity? Are you wondering about curiosity? Send us a message on Facebook, Choose to be Curious, all run together, or Twitter at Choose to be Curious. That's choose number two, letter B, curious, just to keep things complicated. Special thanks this week to Drew Costley and engineer Antonio Villaronga. I hope you've enjoyed your inquiring mind and that you'll be back for our next show at 10 a.m. on Wednesday, June 1st. Until then, choose to be curious.